Hello and welcome to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm Rebecca Valentine and I'm joined today by... Brendan Sinclair, Christopher Dring, and Hayden Taylor. We are here, as always, to discuss the latest games industry news and headlines, starting with the ESA, which is in a whole lot of hot water now after it was revealed over the course of this last week that the personal phone numbers, addresses, and other info of over 2,000 journalists and content creators who attended E3 2019 was all in a publicly accessible spreadsheet on the E3 website. Uh, the ESA scrubbed it, but not before it was not only discovered that the data from 2004, 2006, and 2018 had also been available, but that all of it was on web archives as well. Um, it's now all been taken down, but damage is done. I imagine the ESA will maybe have a bit of a harder time convincing media to come to its show in 2020. What do you folks think? Well, I think some media will be less inclined to go. Um... I think the the biggest corporate sites uh, who have their registration handled for them by like you know a point person at the thing, and it's not their personal information that gets given. Uh, I think they'll probably still show up without without problem. But uh, I do think that there are a number of freelance contractors, uh, ones that particularly uh, would maybe speak up for marginalized communities that are typically uh, harassed in in you know in the games industry over the last 5 years um i th- i think they're probably going to be less likely to go and i think that is um at the same time a tremendous loss for the ESA and E3 but i also don't think they particularly care about that it's not going to happen again, though, is it? I mean, this is the. Uh, I mean, this is the thing. Is it got discovered and they clearly didn't do it on purpose. But uh, regardless, uh, well, it speaks they're, to they're it speaks to the 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 ESA's priorities, really. Like, I, I've got kind of a um, a general rule here that like anything in this industry does not have its stuff together as much as you would hope and assume it does. Looking at it from the outside, that was mildly put, Brendan. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, well, this is a family B two B podcast, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like yeah. like they've so, so they they stuff like this happens, but I mean, it it really speaks to where their priorities are when they've when they've seen everything that's happened since GamerGate. And they haven't felt that, you know, hey, these people that, you know, we're doing business with, these these media professionals who we have seen uh, be, be the target of hate campaigns or something, maybe, you know, maybe that's something that we should, like, check and make sure that we're doing right by them on this. And, and it's just, like, yeah, I, I, it was accidental. They just didn't consider this. But, like... It's not great when you don't consider this after after having this flare up in the industry for the last five years, and it just never occurs to you that maybe you have a, a role that you should be playing here. I also do just to that point want to point out that not only was the data from 2004 and 2006 years far in the past, uh, like that that was available. So that it's this has been going on for a really long time apparently. But also the the report on the 2018 data, and again this is this is a report. Uh, it's a single person um, says that, that, but they say they sent they found the data like you know last year or something, 
and they sent an email to the ESA about it and never got a reply. Um, now, again, this is like one person who says they did this. I, I don't know what all the details around that are, but it, it does seem likely that maybe the ESA was either made aware of this or maybe had an inkling that something wasn't right and did nothing. Yeah, I think I think Game Daily had had found like a couple of people that had tipped them off, they said. And, and like that's... That's neglect. <laughs> I mean, that that is, um, I don't know, unforgivable is a strong word, but there's there's really no excuse for it when someone kind of raises the issue and you just you know dismiss it. Mm. No, I, I'm see fair. I mean, yes, I'm the same with any company. Companies are just people, and people get things wrong. I'm sure that there were safeguards put in place. Probably 20 years ago, they decided this is the process we need to follow, and then whatever happened down the years, somebody didn't follow that process, and it's been, you know, it's just, you know, you talk about neglect. Yes, it's been neglected. I suspect there's no, you know, there's probably a load of people at the ESA looking at each other, saying, "Who was responsible for this?" And they're all sort of looking at each other, going, "I don't know. Was it you? It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't in my handover." And um, and um, and you know, as I say, it's careless and it's frustrating and it's disappointing. But to be honest with you, what actually angered me over it, it wasn't even the ESA. It's like, oh, well, that's annoying. You know, it's like, oh, that's really frustrating. It was actually when when the, when the those angry, angry, toxic human beings lurking in the corners of the forums decided to start sending the abuse to the consumer journalists on that list. That's when I started getting angry. And it was it's, it's all linked into the Ooblets thing. And it just makes you aware of just how horrible some human beings can be. Um, and that's when I started to get really, really irate. Because that's the thing of the ESA. They, they, it was it was a mistake or careless neglect, whatever one word is. But it wasn't villainous. They weren't being, they weren't trying to attack people. They weren't trying to upset people. And then, and then that's. But it unfortunately facilitated those that are to um, to rise up as they like to do. I mean, that's like that. That's the fear, right? Like that's the reason people were panicking because this is the kind of information that. It, like, like the, the day after, yeah, there, there was a wave of people who were being, you know, dumbasses texting. Sorry, it's family show. Uh, jerks. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, using those numbers to like text people on the list and be, you know, real edgy and real, oh, we're going to we're going to freak them out, whatever. Like, like th- that's bad. That's terrible. Uh, people suck. Um, but I, I think the, the real damage is going to be done, you know, years down the line. Yeah, people have changed their phone numbers, but for the especially for the freelancers and the folks that just can't like th- their personal addresses are on there and they can't readily change them. Now there's this fear, right? Because journalists in this industry have kind of the shadow over them that, you know, if I write a piece on this kind of hot button issue, if I write supporting things like, you know, diversity or other topics like that, you know, the social justice warrior topics or whatever, am I going to get harassed? Am I going to get people sending me death threats? Are people going to show up at my house? And now, like, that that information for most people wasn't readily available on the internet. You know, people would have to work pretty hard to, you know, dox somebody. But now there's just information of like 2000 people floating around there somewhere. And if your name's on that list, you're going to think, you know, maybe a little bit harder about writing a piece like that. And that, that sucks. That's awful. We don't want that. It's also really great that like the, the personal information uh, and the doxing is like being floated around and coordinated on uh, internet websites that are, uh, so doggedly in favor of free speech, like, yeah. like their entire their the thing that they cling to above all else is like you can't moderate or censor anything. It's all acceptable, and now let's just you know abuse these people into submission. 
like we'll we'll shut them up for good and and i that's that's its own little infuriating aspect of it Mm. yes yeah people are uh yeah yeah i'm not going to say those words family show since when has this been a family show? This hasn't always been a family show. <laughs> Brendan, <laughs> Brendan, you've changed the very DNA of the podcast with one offhand comment. I, I, I'm sorry, was it a, like, edgy, mature B2B website or podcast No, but I'm before? pretty sure we were, were allowed to swear before. <laughs> oh, Phil Spence will stop listening to us if he starts swearing. You know, he's oh, okay. very sensitive about those things. <laughs> Um, okay, so family f- family B2B show. Should we talk about a nice family game like Ooblets? <coughs> oh, well, yeah, what a lovely uh, game that is. What a, what a step, wholesome stepping game. Stepping all over my transitions. That's fine. <laughs> Don't care. Um, yeah, <laughs> we can talk about Ooblets. Uh, There's another major news story uh, continued from last week into this week. Uh, indie game Ooblets uh, was getting, is getting a timed exclusivity deal on PC for the Epic Game Store. Uh, developer Ben, I'm sorry if I'm saying your last name wrong, Ben Wasser, uh, wrote a blog post about it, sharing the news uh, that did admittedly have a bit of a tongue-in-cheek tone about past responses to Epic Games Store exclusivity, um, but was met with a wave of anti-Semitic, homophobic, racist harassment that included, among other things, death threats. Uh, Wasser came back with another blog post defending his remarks, and Epic has similarly said it would stand by its developers, but, you know, again, just that community of the internet harassing people. Uh, This whole thing was exhausting. I think there are reasonable, normal things one can criticize about the Epic Game Store, just as there are things one can criticize about Steam or anything else. But we've got this group of people online that has co-opted the argument and has made it impossible to criticize the Epic Game Store normally without dog-whistling the internet's worst corners to harass a developer who is just trying to, like, as they originally put it, not have to move back in with their parents. Like, come on. So I don't think any of the people who are, who are throwing out these really like vitriolic toxic comments actually give i don't know two craps about the epic game store or who signs an exclusivity deal with who like like you can tell it really is just a premise for them to just dogpile on people in really really unpleasant ways like cuz ooblets looks like quite a fun you know, colourful, friendly game, and I can't imagine the people who are sending those sorts of comments to the developer are remotely interested in that game or have any horse in the Epic versus Steam race. It's just like, oh, here is an arbitrary thing, and we can all gather around and throw stones and whatever else we like at these people because it's fun. Like, it's their own kind of twisted form of entertainment, and there's almost a an argument to basically say ignore it which i know is very difficult for the people who are caught up in the middle of it but kind of talking about it i think just perpetuates it in in this weird this weird sort of self-fulfilling way i mean some of those comments were so like you read some of those comments even if you did care about the epic store and even if you did care about ooblets being on it there's no way in the world you'd wish them to the you know the the sum of those comments there's no you'd never wish that upon anybody even a serial killer you would let alone someone who just signed an epic store deal it was it was horrific i actually have a friend many many years ago he used to be my best friend at school and then he had a he had a he was, i didn't realize at the time he was having a bit of a breakdown and he started posting up on uh, facebook these really offensive pictures of disabled children and people with just down syndrome and stuff it was just being horrific and i missed all this i was actually at e3 oddly at the, at the time and um, uh, my my now wife 
spiraled into his comments and what are you doing stop it and then he started laying into her and I started getting these text messages when I woke up in, in the morning and I turned around to my friend he'd been doing it for a while but I hadn't noticed and I said to him you take down all those messages you apologize for the people you've offended you apologize to Carrie Ann and then you um and you never do it again or I will never speak to you again and um his response was to delete all the messages Apologise to everybody. Apologise to Carrie Ann, and he's never done it since. And I, and I, because he's nowhere in the world he felt any of those things. He's not the person I know. He, he doesn't agree with any of those statements. I have no idea why he was doing it. He was lashing out. He was angry at something. He was having fun. I don't know. I don't know what it was he was doing. But as soon as I threatened to basically not be his friend anymore, he went, "Oh no, it isn't worth that." And he went away. And this is why I think when I see people like Epic go, you know, wouldn't it be great if you just if these children start acting up, you take away their toys? Wouldn't it be great if Xbox says, oh, you're going to abuse a load of journalists, you're going to insult a load of game developers, then you can't play on Xbox anymore? And it would just and these people probably would, you know, if I was though, you know, I you know what actually I don't care enough to, to put my gaming life at risk over over uh, over sending something just to a sending something just for the attention or, or because it's fun or whatever it is that they do it for whatever reason they're doing it for. I actually love the fact that Epic turn around, you know, Valve don't do it. Well, they started to, but Valve don't turn around and start defending their developers or anything like that. I think we, should, I think the industry, the, the parents of the industry, the, the, the big publishers, the big companies, they should start, you know, turning around and <laughs> cracking down on some of this. Because I think, yeah, not everybody, but I think some of the, the, the people that are jumping on with their hate and their, and their pitchforks, they'll actually probably go, Actually, you know what? I don't really care because yeah. I don't. I can't see how they can really. And and they should have Not done that this years ago. Is is the thing that that really bugs? Like we've seen this happen so many times. And and the Ooblets, um, their their message, their initial message, their follow up posts, and everything. I actually really, I really liked that they weren't uh, taking any guff from this crowd that they were I loved it it was great uh, and, but the thing is I've wanted I've wanted people in the games industry to do this for years I don't know if I necessarily want a two person indie team with their their names out there and so many direct channels of communication uh to them to say this I want the the adults in the room basically I want you know Microsoft Nintendo Sony you know whatever I I want the faceless corporations to come out there and say the same thing from the faceless corporation perspective because then you'll get the the you know the angry troll communities that are like this corporation has disrespected me and i'm never going to buy their stuff again but you know it's it's not it's not the people at those corporations that are having to deal with all of this backlash, all of the blowback, like you can, in the same way the corporation is protected from, you know, liability, individuals in there don't, aren't responsible for what the corporation does legally, like it works socially as well. So like have Microsoft, have Nintendo push back against these people and say, no, that behavior is unacceptable and we will boot you off our platforms. And that's what's been missing, I feel. I, I do get where you're coming from with that, but I do think it's not entirely true to say that the the people working at these big faceless corporations won't feel that backlash because it's not uncommon for just public, uh, you know, quite public figures who work for a company to receive backlash as something which they have nothing to do with. They might be like a like an artist who's just good on Twitter and or they attract a lot of attention. Who happens to be a woman. Yes, exactly. So, like, when these companies step up and say these things, like, there isn't, it's not exact, it's, 
not guaranteed that these people won't suffer for it. Not I do see what you mean. No, but these companies have the resources to protect people better than the these indie individuals do. They they have more of an obligation that they understand to to protect individuals. And at that point, like, what what are the other options then? Like, if the company can't say this is unacceptable without putting all of their employees at risk like ethically what's the best course of action for them then to not ever push back on anything no matter how horrible it is i also think and this is to hayden's point earlier like this yeah they can they can speak up about it and that's great and they'll be like oh i'll never buy another xbox again and they actually will um but i I, I agree that it's the job of the people in power to protect the people who are not in power, but I also agree with Hayden's point that it really, most of the people who are doing this are not people who were going to buy ooblets anyway in this specific case. Like, I, I'm spitballing num- numbers from what I remember people saying, so this is probably not accurate, but I, I read something that was something like their, their Discord had like a thousand people in it initially, like just that many, and then all of a sudden when this came out, it was just flooded with thousands more people coming in to yell at them, and like, like none of these people were people who had no, maybe they, didn't, they probably didn't know about the game before they didn't care about the game before they were just there because they wanted to harass somebody like this is this is not a the, the people who make up the bulk of this group who were doing these awful things are not people who are actively engaging in these communities positively already they don't have something to lose they can keep making accounts they can keep you know do doing whatever stupid tactics they have to just keep being a jerk i think like it's not it's not like you're banning somebody who's you know, invested time and years and has a community and friends involved. Like it's, it's in your, in your example, Chris, like your friend had something to lose. He had like, you know, your friendship to lose. And that, that was something that meant something to him. But I would question whether the people who are responsible for the bulk of these harassment events care whether they lose anything. Well, the thing is, you know, in pubs, when someone goes to a pub and starts getting drunk and abusive and that person gets banned from that pub, they're banned from every pub in the area. And I think this is, this is, I mean, it's, okay, it's very, not, it's honestly, it's not always easy to find out who these people exactly are, but if Epic turned around and said, all these people that have used Ooblets are now no longer allowed to play Fortnite, and then that was backed by everyone else who owns a big social online, well, you know, people, <laughs> they do have something to lose there. And that's, and that's why, and that's what I mean rather when I was saying earlier that, you know, it's the parents in the room, it's not just speaking up and saying, this isn't acceptable, it's speaking up, saying this isn't acceptable, and then punishing them for it. Um, and then, Hopefully, we'll we'll might see it. But then at the same time, I'm also with Hayden in the way that every now and again, I'm like, just ignore them and they'll go away. I can't wait. I genuinely can't wait till Eblitz comes out and sells far better than anyone ever expected. It's going to be brilliant. Well, um, <laughs> we've been ignoring them and hoping they'll go away for 20 years yeah. now. I don't know. since It, does, since it doesn't work. And now they have our phone numbers. <laughs> I also, and, and, and Chris, I, I would love it if that if it were that easy, but in order for something like that to work, I mean, these people harassing them via email and Discord and Twitter and a million different channels, that would require a level of specific data gathering on people to connect that information with your Fortnite account that I personally, someone who is, I I attempt not to harass people on social media generally, um, I'm not comfortable giving that level of information away to somebody where they connect just every single account I have and ban me in one thing for screwing up in another like that. I, it's a great idea. It's just the internet is too big. Well, the consoles yeah, I mean, can it, do this to some extent. I mean, you know, every... every consoles can and do. Since you have a unified gamer tag on, on whatever console, like, 
yeah, your actions in one game can certainly be carried through to the others trivially. I mean, games as a service requires such a sacrifice of your personal information anyways. You give it up to them for all kinds of tracking purposes so that they can uh, make more money off you. At the very least, in exchange for that, they should be using that information uh, to make their communities not sewers. Yeah. It's, I think it's a duty of care. I think it's. I think this, is, this relates to everything that we've been talking about this year, actually, whether it's addiction or um, loot boxes or uh, toxic communities. I think. I think what we. Um, I'd love. I can't wait till I see it. I can't wait till I see big service-based games start having teams in place designed to protect their customers. You know, at the moment we're we're using service-based games. We're inviting people to be part of our world, our games, for long periods of time. And we're using that to monetize them and make more money. And I think along with that, there's a need um, for us to also make sure they're okay, check out the vulnerable people amongst our communities. And I know we do that on a community management, very basic level, but I think it would be great if people start, if companies start having teams purely devoted to looking after the vulnerable and making, protecting their customers as much as they can. And I'm sure that'll happen Um, in time. I'm sure there's actually someone will message me and say, oh, actually my company already has somebody in place for this. But when it becomes widespread, and and then and then they can they'll use that data, you know, just to you know keep an eye on customers that are spending too much, keep an eye on customers that are gaming too much, keep an eye on customers that are they are but are also the other end who are um, being dam- damaging and dangerous and, and and horrible. And I know there's a little bit of that going on, but it, it just I think it uh, I think duty of care is the three words that um, uh, the whole games industry needs to start um, putting first and foremost when it comes to building these titles. I think if that comes from anybody first, it would probably be Microsoft, just kind of based on what I've seen from them so far. I, I'm i kind of pessimistic about everybody else, though. Like, I don't really know what Sony's situation would be in this case, but like Nintendo goes so far in the opposite direction. They lock everything down and don't let you talk to anybody. And I, there's not really a need for that from Nintendo just because they don't let you interact with anybody on their platform for the most part, except in like really yeah. simple well, that's, that's gaming their... ways. But well, but then, like, like if you look at something like, like, yeah, well, um, but then if you look at like, you know, other platforms that you know are not specifically related to games, like Twitter or whatever, like I would be, Twitter doesn't can't even ban users on its own platform. I would be extremely shocked if they, you know, would ever be okay with partnering with anybody else to, you know, let let you get, let people ban people on Xbox for saying something rude on Twitter. Like, I don't know. And they, they sort of they yeah there are there there is these um, sharing of information that does go on um, not not necessarily like personal information but a trouble you know there is like Xbox has this piece of technology which they use to um, uh, this is one of the things they showed us recently which is their technology that they use to try and work out words and symbols and images and which um, that people use in chat forms to block them and ban them they share that technology with the rest of the games industry and when they feed in their own images and stuff that they discover into that system it benefits microsoft and it benefits playstation and it benefits everybody this is a piece of tech that they all share in order to try and solve this problem um on a, on a technical level so it does happen i don't know i mean obviously there's you know they don't want to give away each other's you know user bases or anything like that there's, there's only so much you can do but um i'm sure that there's a uh, I'm sure there's a, a system in place that can facilitate <laughs> this sort of thing. I think that might be the next um, the next wave of captcha images. It's like, does this identify the harassment? 
unsolicited male genitalia in it. <laughs> Click all the things ah! to do. Oh, oh. I no! And of oh, course, no. there's going to be that borderline one that's like, is that? Oh, I don't know. Should I click it or not? I don't know. <laughs> no! It's a family show, Brendan. Um. <laughs> All those words were perfectly appropriate. <laughs> Maybe not like put All together right. in the order they were, but still. <laughs> All right. I, I think, um, sorry, there's something else I wanted to add to this, which is a, a little bit kind of disheartening, really, considering everyone offering up quite uh, practical, interesting solutions of ways to tackle toxic toxicity in the gaming community. But, like, League of Legends and Riot have been quite effective at reforming players in game by gamifying positive behavior effectively. You know, you get rewarded for behaving in a positive way like team uh sort of working as part of a team you know being friendly to each other and you get not so much punished like they don't like crack the whip so much but they do kind of remove certain privileges and you get sort of marked out as being bit of a uh bit of a malcontent perhaps but like that's a (laughs) that's one game and that's a really systemic approach to how you deal with toxicity and i'm just not sure if there's really (laughs) I think there are things the games industry can do and can try to improve the situation, but like these people who are sending horrible, racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic threats to to Ublitz developers, I don't think saying you can't play Fortnite anymore is going to cut it because I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even be surprised if they don't even play Fortnite. Like I'm not even convinced these people are necessarily part of the wider gaming community. Like the, these are just insecure just i would imagine horribly depressed sad just pathetic individuals like they have kind of given up on any sense of like decorum and they go online to just be monsters and i think the only way you deal with that is on like a societal level like you have to go beyond games to deal with people like this because i cannot imagine what goes on inside the head of someone who just that is their first recourse of action when they see something that mildly irritates them online like we can come up with all these great ideas but these people are i mean i don't yeah i really don't know how to put into words like there is there is something bigger and darker and nastier and more insidious going on in the in the lives of these people than anything the games industry can do by like threatening to take away their toys i just i don't think it will cut it and i don't really know what we can do uh, as an industry to make any substantial impact so it's a big social problem but just because it doesn't solve the entire society at once doesn't mean you don't do it like you take care yeah of course like there's stuff we can do within your you know your area of influence and control instead of just saying well yeah but i could do that but then what about all these other problems that i can't do like jeff bezos might be able to give away a few billion and and put a dent into world hunger (laughs) <laughs> but the climate is still a problem, so why should I really do any of that? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, clearly you have not played. You are Jeff Bezos. <laughs> I'm. I'm not saying we shouldn't try, but I'm saying like I think our impact is going to be very limited because the problems they go beyond the games industry. And I think we get very fixated and we think about, you know, what can we do, you know, to improve communities? And that's great. It's a positive direction. It's a positive way to be looking at it. But I feel like it's it's 
I feel like it's very hard to not just become really disheartened with the state of affairs because it's like it is a beast that is bigger than us and we can try and chip away and put a dent in it but it's it's far beyond our influence really I think I do think just on a really like practical concrete level like going back to the Ooblets and Epic Game Store issues specifically like I, I hope this was a lesson for Epic um, in learning that they're especially the smaller developers that come to them are really vulnerable and I hope like and I'm not. I, I want to be really clear. I am not. I'm. I'm not saying the, the the Ooblets developers deserved any of this or that they did anything wrong. I hope going forward that Epic, when they're partnering with small studios like this, before they make the announcement, they look and they say, "Okay, you have this private Discord. How can we help you moderate it? Um, because you know, in case there's a backlash, how can we help you? You know, if you want to be candid about your your PR um, when you when you talk about this announcement." that's great, you should say what you want, but how can we help you with it? Um, how can we like make sure that you are protected, that you know you don't have all, you know, various open social channels where people can just like email you or you know message you on Discord and send you harassment? How, how can we help? How can we support you? I hope that was a lesson for Epic um, that they can take um, when working with future developers as opposed, so they can go, because, because I imagine if I was just like a solo dev or if I was working with like two or three other people and I'd been thinking or maybe talking about an epic deal, I would look at this incident and be like, wow, this is a great deal, but I don't know if it's worth it to get a bunch of death threats or, you know, people, you know, you know, threatening to come to my house. I, I don't, I don't know. And I would hope if, if I were Epic, I would understand that people would be thinking that and come to them and say, look, we know you're nervous. We've learned from this. Here are the things we're going to do going forward to help make sure that, you know, we can't we can't shut down the Internet. We can't stop people from being awful, but we can make sure that you have like a minimal amount of people arguing in bad faith and being awful to you um, directly. That That's what I would hope would come from this. I have to wonder if Epic, I mean... I was talking with Epic about something completely different over the week, and I know they spent the entire weekend on it. So, you know, I don't know if that wasn't what they were offering in the first place. It was perhaps nobody quite foresaw. I mean, they, they probably put in place the same things that the Phoenix Point guys went through and the Metro guys went through. And, um, you know, that, and that was oddly quite tame in comparison to what the Ublitz people went through. And, I but, don't think yeah. it's that odd. Like, I, I think you, you have a uh, intersection with the Ublitz people of uh, indie game developer, a non-violent game, there's a small development team, so they, they're seen as easier targets. Uh, one of the team is a woman. I think it's sort of like a, you take the Venn diagram of things that draw internet rage, like, you know, disrespecting gamers, disrespecting the PC master race. Um, console wars basically because steam and epic is kind of the same extension of the 16-bit you know genesis super nintendo clash only all those people now have internet accounts and access to 8chan or whatever and and also access to both platforms um <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't seem to matter because it's kind of this weird holy war kind of mentality around it. And like there's there's just this overlap of all these things that makes Ooblets, I think, a uh, a uniquely appealing target for many crowds um of, you know, harassers or people that would like to throw throw abuse online. And and like you look at you look at the other the Metro 
developers or Phoenix Point or other exclusive Epic games. And I, I don't think any of them is blown up like this, right? Yeah, they got a bit. <laughs> yeah, they definitely got some. They definitely got some, but I uh, maybe they were just quieter about it afterwards and didn't like show like, hey, here's the greatest hits of like really appalling stuff that's been directed our way. Um, well, I, I also think, and, and I I want to phrase this really carefully because again, I, I want to be clear, I am not blaming a bit of this on the Ooblets folks. Like this is this is not something they have brought upon themselves. They did not deserve any of this, etc. Um, I, I think they, they, they wrote this blog post that I, I loved. It was really, it was candid. Um, it was like really, yeah, it was, it was, it was very much, and I've been following Ooblet since it was announced. It was very within their tone as a studio, very tongue in cheek, um, very aware of the current issues around the Epic Game Store. Um, but like they, I, I think that the group. Um, you know, aside from the other things about them being a smaller studio and about, you know, this kind of just like every time there's a new Epic Games Store exclusive, this kind of escalating, I think they looked at that post and thought this, we could, you know, you know, they're people, they don't care. Like, like we addressed earlier, they don't care. They just, you know, want to go after people. They want to have something ang- to be angry about on the internet. So they looked at this and thought this, this is a perfect thing to latch onto and go after. Um, you know, and it's all this huge bad faith argument, right? Like they're all, they're all in the replies saying, well, it's not, it's not about, um, the fact that they're on the Epic game store and they needed the money. It's about the tone they took with us, their potential customers. And Ben's, you know, follow-up post addressed that. He's like, you know, potential customers, we don't, we don't owe people anything. We have not entered into any kind of transaction with you. Um, you know, there's no, there's no owing here, but, but they just, they latched onto the tone in that post and decided that was a good opening to go for. And I, again, that's no, that's not. That's not the Ooblis team's fault. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It just is what it is. I don't want to make it seem like I was blaming them for for oh for no, putting I putting those were. those tweets and everything up there because it's like if if a developer doesn't want to do that, if they want to just go completely radio silent in the face of abuse, like that's that seems like absolutely a very practical decision. Uh, if they want to, you know, take a stand and kind of you know reiterate, like I'm not going to be you know beaten into submission by this then that's that's fine too and there's there's value also just in like showing people how horrible the the treatment that the games industry uh, certain corners of it can throw at people for for the smallest of slights or perceived slights like there's there's value in in having that eye-opening um kind of experience the the problem is that like We've seen this again and again and again. Like, we have rubbed the industry's face in this. Like, well, I had a friend who toilet trained his his cat in a rather unpleasant way. But, like, we've had our nose rubbed in this for years now, and people still don't seem to, like, react with the kind of horror that they should. I think it's kind of fatigue, though, right? Like, when, when I saw the Ooblets thing happen, I just kind of just sighed and was just sad i was like oh it's uh it's this again it's every day it's this and it's like i i know that we should kind of be angry and want to do something about it and dragging it out into the light and pointing at it and saying look at this this is unacceptable but it's clearly the right thing to do but is it really surprising that so many people especially with everything else that's going on in the world we see this and just go Ah, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit crap, isn't it? I'm maybe I'm gonna go stare at the wall for a little bit, and then 
if I can kind of get out of this fugue state, I will try and return to my life and hope nothing else kind of sends me into a spiral again in the next, like, week. But inevitably it always does, because there's always just some more horrifying examples of, like, Game of Vitriol just around the corner for you to enjoy. Yeah, I uh, don't envy the next person to announce that they have an Epic Game Store exclusive. <laughs> no. I think we should go Epic Store exclusive. I think we should. our podcast should be exclusive to the Epic Store. <laughs> you know, they could sit here and say, we will pay you what your lifetime revenues are expected from the gamesindustry.biz podcast. And... <laughs> I mean... Well. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on from a heavy topic into another heavy topic. There's just no getting away from it. It was a tough week. Um, we're actually going to go back to the ESA, sort of. Um, they're involved in both of the other things we have to discuss. Uh, the first is a pair of mass shootings over the weekend, uh, one in El Paso, Texas, the other in Dayton, Ohio. Um, ESA issued a statement about them. Uh, the reason the ESA spoke up at all is because U.S. President Donald Trump suggested in a speech that gruesome and grisly video games were linked to the weekend shootings, despite no apparent evidence that they were. Um, the IGDA, IGDAF, and the ESA all made official statements defending the industry. Um, the IGDA noted that research does not support a link between video games and mass shootings. Um, and the ESA took it a step for further, noting that billions of people play video games worldwide, um, but the U.S. has an unprecedented, unprecedented level of mass shootings uh, by comparison. Sure makes you wonder what other factor tied to mass shootings is different in the U.S. from other nations, huh? I wonder if it's the white supremacist manifesto that he left behind, if that perhaps had any clues as to his motives. No, 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 it was definitely Call of Duty's fault. Ah, um, right, okay, sorry, yeah. I must have missed the memo on that one. Yeah. So I've always, you know, video games are a bit violent, um, and we've always known that, and I can understand people being a bit uncomfortable about it, but it's all just deflection. Um, so... I almost don't want to issue a statement on it, you know, or even comment on it. It's like, yeah, we, yeah, you know what the real problem is. You can, you know, there are other problems, I'm sure, but let's not, let's not forget. You're just trying to deflect it onto something else, and video games has always been that the easy target in that regard. Yeah, you know, it's it's been what like rock and roll music and uh, rap music, know, rap, rap music. You know what else? And video games came up, you know what, over a decade ago. Um, and they're coming back again because we don't have any other form of entertainment to stand in as a scapegoat, right? It's it, it's the usual nonsense. It's the usual deflection. I just don't like you. You see so many politicians kind of drawing this line, and I mean, I imagine some of them they are just in the pocket of the NRA. And, you know, that's 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 kind of how they, they, they make their sort of political stances based on who pays them. Obviously, that's not everyone. But I, you do kind of have to wonder about the people who seem to genuinely believe that there is that connection. Um, because there's just no evidence to support it. So it... And the thing that's so frustrating is you just think, like, there, there's no way of ever bringing you to the other side of the table because you are so entrenched in this belief that video games are the cause of violent outbursts or mass shootings or whatever that there's no real way to flip the script and for you to look at it and go, oh, yeah, maybe it's something else. And, again, just like a lot of things we discussed today, it's just getting depressing, honestly. Yeah. So I don't think games turn people into nihilistic mass shooters. But I think if you're, you know, on a path to being a nihilistic mass shooter, 
you'll probably feel pretty comfortable in games. Um, I mean, just you, you, you look at the fetishization of guns in so many games. Uh, so many mass market games are they're super violent. They they don't ask people to like interrogate their beliefs. They don't. The games themselves don't really challenge them. Uh, and, and games are comfortable with like just really over the top depictions of violence in a relentless way that you don't get in books or well you, that you don't get in mass market books movies comics whatever like mortal Kombat is is violent and a, it's a lot a tarantino movie might reach the same level of violence but it's it's punctuated here and there like the best and it's done in like two hours right well and the best the best scenes are like the you know oh there might be something violent about to happen these these people are just sitting here having a friendly conversation but you can feel there's bad stuff a brewing and and like that's that's different from like mortal Kombat, where it's like two minutes of fight and it's going to be 90 percent that's pretty violent and then 10 percent whoa brother that's violent and if you if you have like a really unhealthy fascination with violence i can see why games would be an appealing place to spend your time and and like this go be, this go. sorry still ranting <laughs> oh God. and like this industry was was i think built on outsiders largely so many of us grew up as the weird kid in school really liked video games and we had a chip on our shoulder and got bullied because of it maybe so i think like we're more accepting of ideas and people outside the mainstream and I think if you look back at rock and roll or comic books or Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of the things that have been kind of demonized uh, in in our culture like this are, had that sort of similar roots. And because we are, you know, largely built on a community of outsiders, that community is more accepting of things that are outside the mainstream, I think, by definition. And that's that's good and bad you know because you can it, it means that you can have like the lgbtq community find find each other find a welcoming home in in corners of your hobby on the other hand so can nazis because because both of them are like well they're certainly not welcome in the mainstream but you know when you've got a group that's like you know i wasn't welcome in the mainstream either so maybe i'm not going to be so quick to jump on on these people that were declared strange and weird and all that i also think tied into that it is less about games specifically being violent and more about the fact that there is a it's not a straight line, but it's not a particularly curved and complicated line from game comments and like gaming site comment sections and chat rooms and discord channels to basically white supremacy and terrorism. Like what's, what's the common thread in all three of the stories we've talked about so far, the shooter posted uh, their manifesto on 8chan. Um, 8chan is also where the leak, uh, data from the ESA for the uh, media list got shared around and spread and used to harm people. And 8chan is also kind of a hub for people to go after and harass developers. It has been historically. So it's th- there's this community of awful people 
that exists out there and they are not they're maybe not specifically dedicated to games but it's not that hard to find them if you're already involved in games for a lot of the reasons that brendan just mentioned you can go to the comments um, on a YouTube video of a game, or you can be part of a Discord channel talking about a game, and maybe that channel or maybe that group is like totally fine. Like, there's nothing particularly Nazi-ish about it. Um, but there might be just like one person in there who kind of has these tendencies or whatever. And if you've, if you're a person who has ever kind of had a racist thought in your head uh, for whatever reason, and you express that out loud in like a normal society, uh, you know, people look at you and you're like. And they're like, that, that's racist. You can't say that. But now we have, you know, this internet with thousands of people on it. And there's, if you express this idea in a comment section, somebody is going to find you and be like, hey, is that, you know, that, that's kind of something you're thinking? Let me show you um, the way to a group of people who also think those things. And we're all going to talk about them together and you're going to be safe. Um, and so, yeah, it's not, it's not violent. It's not gruesome and grisly video games. It's, it's this white supremacist, racist, awful community that has its hands in a whole bunch of different things and a lot of those things happen to be related or tied in some way to video games and it it, it sucks and i it's like hayden said I don't, I don't know what we can do about it specifically but i i think kind of what chris said like like we can't we can't it's a bad faith argument that violence in video games is is causing these mass shootings um and it's deflecting from the actual problems and i i don't i don't know how much engaging with it is helpful but i do think that what is helpful would be having a conversation about you know the things that actually lead to it and these communities that exist and that people seem you know dedicated to keeping around because they're harbors for free speech free speech in quotes Sounds like a good summation. Uh, okay. On that note, uh, one more topic. Still not a happy one, but maybe slightly less grim than the others. Uh, Brendan and I spent a good chunk of yesterday listening to the FTC hearings on consumer issues with loot boxes. Brendan listened to the first two sessions. I heard the third. Brendan, do you want to lead us into what this was? Sure. So the uh, Federal Trade Commission in the U.S. is looking into loot boxes. So they had a day-long uh, series of panels where they were talking to... Um, members of the industry and watchdogs um, and concerned groups, consumer groups, uh, just sort of, it, it felt like almost a fact-finding thing for the FTC where they wanted to to learn the basics of the issue before they proceeded with any kind of determination about uh, the right way to regulate them, if, if at all. <clears throat> and... So there was a little bit of news there because the ESA said like, hey, big news, everyone, because we're taking this seriously. We got uh, Nintendo, Microsoft and Sony to mandate loot, bo loot box odds disclosure on their platforms by the end of 2020, which um, is embarrassing that this is only happening now. I mean, Japan legislated loot, loot box odds disclosure in 2012. From what I understand, Apple mandated it on the App Store in 2017. Google Play did it earlier this year. And I don't think that those had like any real waiting period like this um, beforehand. And then a number of publishers, since, uh, since just having the console makers mandate it, leaves the PC as a big Wild West there. Uh, a number of ESA publishers, about 12 of them, committed to doing the same thing with their games on all their platforms which means that a couple dozen esa publishers uh did not feel the need to sign on to this and it's just it's just 
the odds of the loot boxes, which is is such a how do you how do you possibly defend not giving your customers this breakdown of odds? Just to, just to count that, I've just noticed on Twitter it's a bit of a time that THQ Nordic have just commented on the reason why they didn't do it, and it's because they don't have loot boxes in their games. Then make so the commitment. Was, just well, no, yes. they weren't asked. They, they weren't asked to because they don't have loot boxes in their games. Um, so this is what this, this is what their this is their response to it. So um, okay, do you remember is, you when know, I was so, talking earlier about the ESA not having their stuff together? <laughs> <laughs> You you don't ask all of your members to make this pledge like, oh. Like, who cares if they don't have loot boxes? Loot boxes are the thing. They're gonna have them one day. Just they okay. said they never. Yeah. What's the statement? Yeah, I'm just reading it, reading it live on the Twitter. They said they they never would have loot boxes, but then again, they were never asked. I, I think I don't even know if they're even an ESA member actually. Um, I'm assuming they are. Yes, they are. Yeah, they, they are. are. They are. And Epic uh, earlier this year is not on board. How is Tencent not on board? Like, didn't we, we just said yeah. China already regulates well, this? What is Tencent? Doing? Riot, Epic, and Tencent aren't on board with this, and it's all you know. Tencent uh, owns stakes in them, so yeah. That's a serious question, yeah. though. What is Tencent? Aren't they are are they not already doing this? Like, what's what's the deal here? Um, I honestly don't know. I mean, they whatever they do in China, they don't necessarily have to apply to the games outside of China. So League of Legends loot boxes probably have different different odds than they do over in you know the UK. And there's, I'd imagine the companies that aren't doing it, they probably have very good reasons. Well, by their standards, very good reasons <laughs> for not doing yeah. it. By the rest of the world standards, not so much. I mean, one of the in an article I wrote uh, uh, this week that came out, um, there's uh, one of the. It, sorry, I'm falling over my words here. There's a. <laughs> There's a patent which I which I talk about in there, which basically changes the odds of items in loot boxes uh, depending on certain data that the game gathers about you. Which may be why um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if if other game developers are employing similar techniques. Like, I don't know for sure <laughs> they are, but I but I would not be surprised if that if that is the sort of thing that they do, where they gather data and they say, well, this person spends this much money, so we could probably lower the odds because they're willing to spend more. This person spends less money, so maybe we increase the odds to give them something good to then encourage them to spend more. Like the the level of data collection and the bespoke like uh, deals and offers and things these these games can provide for you these days is quite staggering so it it's far beyond the realms of uh, impossibility that, yeah so that this is the sort of thing these developers are employing this is something that came up at um during the ftc workshop there were there were some uh, complaints about dynamic odds and um there was a a researcher who had um, created a model to, to figure out, like, okay, well, what if you're a publisher, how do you construct the most profitable loot box mechanic? And um, the model is sort of... It's interesting, but it's not exactly, like, foolproof. Um, the, I, I Just watching it, I, I've had some issues with it, but, it, like, the, the conclusion that they had was, like, okay, so if you're doing this, that's great, but the the asterisk to all of our findings is that if the if the publisher is changing the odds, they can make so much more money. And because of that, and this was their only recommendation, their only kind of policy thing that the researcher said, 
because of that, we absolutely need to uh, have transparency into the, you know, the, the, the way that these lods are, the, the, the loot box odds are determined and allocated. And we need to be able to check and verify that, you know, the real world experience people are have are having with these is uh, accurate to those odds, both in the aggregate and on an individual level. And the ESA, I think, was kind of expecting people to, to uh, have issues with, with the dynamic odds uh, that, that some publishers are using. And their, their legal counsel's like defense of it, he said that what I can say on those dynamic drop rates is there are a lot of innocuous uses for those that are perfectly legitimate. For instance, in a sports game that's mimicked on real-world sports teams, you would want to have the players have continually updated stats. If you had a baseball player that had a really good month of gameplay, their overall ranking is going to go up over time, and that ranking goes up. They'll move into higher levels of rarity. So that's perfectly acceptable. In fact, if you had a sports game that didn't do that, consumers would be upset by that experience. And... He's making a gameplay defense there for what is basically supposed to be a a legal, um, well, uh, uh, sorry, a consumer protection measure, and it's their 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 defenses. The ESA's defenses on some of this was, I thought, laughable. Um, they they were also kind of uh, loot boxes were criticized for the use of virtual currency. Because you take the virtual currency uh, and and it makes it you know it divorces it from from the the real world currency and it makes it harder to figure out how much something is worth and then they add on these uh, you know kind of bundle things where it's like hey if you spend at the twenty dollar level we'll give you five thousand bonus fun bucks and that makes the you know the cognitive load they said uh, for for figuring out what the value proposition is that much harder and like it's 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 just kind of a slimy extension sorry you can go even further than that because i mean i always i gave this great i was we did this um i did a talk we did a similar talk the ftc did but it was behind closed doors that was done um before the uh before christmas in the uk with a load of games industry people and one of them talked about pokemon go and so people say Pokemon Go doesn't have loot boxes, but actually they have these eggs, and these eggs have random Pokemon in it. And to get those eggs, you need an egg hatcher. And to get the egg hatcher, you need to spend Pokemon coins. In order to get Pokemon coins, where you can get them through the game, mostly you buy them. And so it was he was sort of explaining about how that was basically like five degrees of separation from the loot box to spending the money. But you're still spending money in order to unlock a random egg, basically. I mean, there's a little bit more to that unlocking of that egg. Um, and um, and it, I mean it was it, and then what descended into was a bit of a mess of describing what is the loot box, where is it, where's the line, you know, and this kind of stuff, and that's uh, and that's I guess is the reason why it's taken the ESA so long to even get a group of publishers and, and, and platform holders to agree to even this very basic level of uh, of disclosure. Yeah, and, and the ESA's yeah, defense, the... the ESA's defense on virtual currency was basically three points. One, it would be annoying. Uh, every time someone makes a one dollar transaction to have to go to their account and do that oh good heavens two uh (laughs) the transaction costs for the the game publishers because the credit cards would be being used so often would be significant and three to preserve narrative integrity Ooh, the narrative integrity of pokey coins and orbs and fire emblem the the direct quote 
the direct quote here. Say you had a game set in ancient Egypt and you wanted to buy a chariot for a big combat that was going to come up and you went to the marketplace in Thebes. You would not want to be buying a chariot for $2.50 US. It would be a little bit jolting and a little bit odd. So instead, a publisher will make it with a historically appropriate monetary currency, such as a debon of copper, which fits in more with the game. And, and that's explicitly, explicitly saying we are trying to divorce the process of spending money in exchange for a virtual good or service from the decision that the person is making. We, we, we want to have them just think about it in game and not as actual money they're actually spending. Yeah, you can you can even just say you know it's two fifty. You don't even have to you don't have to put currency on it at all. Um, the uh, it actually reminds me. It's interesting because you talk about um, or it'll be annoying to pay a dollar every time. You know the national lottery in the UK, which is a gambling. You know you have to be eighteen to play it, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, they do online. You can you know play the national lottery online, and what they do is they kind of they kind of actually you have you can't just buy one ticket you have to put if you want to do it online you you put in a certain amount of money that you want to put into your account it could be 20 pounds 50 pounds 10 pounds 5 pounds whatever and then you spend that money on x amount of tickets or whatever when you want to do it and when you want to do it. i mean you could easily yeah i mean that's and that, obviously they don't mind doing that because they're officially gambling and they're fully um, controlled and looked after and and uh, managed as a result of that so there's, there's no need for them to put in uh, national lottery coins um yeah yeah there is nothing about that esa defense that holds any water in any circumstance because like you say you could just have a wallet where you say you put five dollars in rather than doing five one dollar transactions like you know it, game stores have wallets playstation nintendo they all just have wallets where you use real money and that that detachment thing where you, you don't want to be pulled out of the game experience to i mean like the, i cannot imagine the cognitive dissonance between like one dollar and an egyptian chariot would be so mind-blowing as to just completely ruin the game for anyone like it's just it is the weakest defense i have ever heard i mean that that's up there with like ea's surprise mechanics nonsense from a couple of weeks ago in terms of just like really clasping at straws just like oh no no everything's fine because um we have done uh, this thing which makes it fine please believe us it's just it's just also- it does <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> I, no, I, I also want to point out, like, th- this came up in the in the third session and under kind of a different uh, topic as well. The fact that the 99 cent transactions being annoying, they already exist in these games. Like, I have Pokemon Go up on my phone right now. I can spend 99 cents for 100 Pokecoins. They wouldn't put that in there if people weren't doing it. And it was brought up in the third session that having small transactions like that 99 cents is actually a tactic to get especially younger players to make these purchases because like you know a younger player who maybe is is old enough to understand that they're spending money but you know not maybe not quite old enough to like really understand quite what that means might look at that and think oh 99 cents that's not a lot of money i have like you know a dollar right now that's not a big deal i can buy something for 99 cents but the thing is you buy something for 99 cents and then you buy something the next day for 99 cents and then it just keeps on adding up and adding up and adding up and so it's it's a tactic it's it's not yeah it's an annoyance big whoop it's an annoyance it's it's a way to get people to spend more money to have those smaller transactions so it's it's not even like 
it, it's not even like a valid defense that change it wouldn't change anything i mean i'll be honest i mean i hear a lot of these defenses and i do feel that they're placeholder defenses that i mean ultimately the essa is responding to what their what their members want their members think this and somebody somewhere said this and you need to convince i, I actually took last yesterday's announcements quite positively i thought that um you know you need to lead these companies you need they need to go down a path of understanding and realization they don't they're not like us they don't listen they don't hear all the conversations they're not going to all the events they're not having all the discussions and they're sort of sitting amongst themselves so when i saw that these big companies were agreeing to dis loot box disclosures eventually um i thought well that's good that's stage one and then you know step two is the esrb or whatever it is gets a bit of pressure possibly from government to having to you know age gates loot box mechanics you know if you include these in the games you have to be an m-rated game or whatever and i thought well that's stage three actually probably stage one was alerting people to in-game uh, microtransactions in the first place and i actually thought this is brilliant it, esa have actually got a load of these people around the table and actually got them to agree to something and i and i saw that as a as a positive thing um i know that it's not where we want it to be where a lot of people want it to be yet and it's, it will clearly not end here but i i was i took it as a uh, I actually took out of all the news that we've had this week. I thought that was, oh, that's a step in the right direction. I was, that's that's it getting is a somewhere step in the right direction. But I, ho I I bet the ESA and the ESRB are sitting there crossing their fingers, saying, "Oh, we hope it ends here. We hope it ends here." <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I th that was kind of the theme of the third session, um, which which I did want to eventually get to. The third session was the the first speaker um, was Patricia Vance from the ESRB. Um, she got up there and basically just recapped everything the ESRB had already done. Like she talked about age, like the the existing system for rating games, and then she went on to talk about the in in game transaction disclosures they've already done, and then added on that okay now we're you know disclosing loot box odds. Um, you know we've we've said that we're going to do that, and it was followed by every other speaker getting up there and basically saying great good first step not good enough don't stop keep going um like anna lighten again sorry if i'm saying names wrong uh she's from consumer reports got up and said i love this quote i don't think a kid is going to make a significantly better decision decision with certain odds disclosures it's a good step it can't be a step that replaces more meaningful change um a couple of them, by, by like kind of in the middle of it, when they were all getting up and giving their speeches, they were kind of couching it and they were like, yeah, it's a good first step, but you need to do more than that. Um, but then by the end, some of them were outright saying that disclosing odds doesn't even actually do anything. Um, the Keith White uh, is from the National Council on Problem Gambling, got up and he said, look at Powerball. Your odds are 246 million to one. Does that stop anybody from buying Powerball tickets? Some people love to chase long odds. That's part of the thrill. That's frankly part of the addiction for some people. Um, and then uh, the person from the Senior Council for Policy and Privacy at Common Sense Media, uh, Ariel Fox Johnson, uh, she was talking about how they want pe companies want people to buy loot boxes. That's what that's the whole point of pointing the game is they want you to spend money on them. So you your goal as you know whether you're the FTC or the ESRB or whatever, if you're somebody who's trying to like regulate people people. Like your goal shouldn't just be to kind of throw things at it and and hope it sticks. Your goal should be to actually slow people down and make them think about what they're purchasing and make the and help them make smarter decisions. And so it was just it, it was not wh wherever you stand about loot boxes. That whole last session was not a great look for the ESA and the ESRB just because they came up there and said we did a thing, and then everybody else just turned around in front of the FTC and said. Good job doing like the most bare minimum thing you can do that maybe wasn't maybe didn't actually help anybody anyway. Now do ten other things. So mm -hmm. it was just yeah it, it, yeah. 
you, I mean, you get that a lot when you get to government sort of, particularly those sort of hearings where even today, you know, these people that are saying that when you, if you had a similar thing about violence in video games, you'd get a, you'd get a group of people that are saying, oh, you need, still need to do these 20 things. And they'll say, well, hang on, we do these 10 things. I, I actually think, as I say, I think rather than what was the result of it, I think disclosing loot boxes is a good, I mean, I would think twice, I think, about spending money. I think it, I would think twice whether or not I'd, I'd stop doing it or not if I knew that actually by by using this, by this egg only gives me a 0.1% chance of getting whatever rare Pokemon um, I wanted out of the egg. Um, I would think, you know, definitely think twice about that. And um, so I do think it has that some impact. But then I'm not obviously a person with a problem. But at the same time, I just like the idea. It's this idea that ESA is not doing anything or the games industry is not doing anything. Well, clearly they were. And this is, this is, and you know, they're all not, they're all different people, different companies. They're not going to agree on stuff. They've agreed on something. And I'm like, right, great. We're on the ladder. We've got everyone together around a table to agree something. And now they're, they're engaged in it. Right, they've all they've not even got, But they've not even got everybody, like we talked about earlier, they've not even got every, everybody around the table. They didn't even invite some people to the well, table. Well, yeah, well, it's t- they've, got, they've got the ones that can have the biggest impact, right? They've got the ones that, uh, you know, that have the, the biggest games and the, the, one, the ones they actually, you know, can have the, the significance. They're still missing Tencent and Epic, yeah, like, I, well, I Tencent, don't... Well, Tencent, I mean, I agree... Tencent, what what you what Western game, what US game does Tencent have? That's Fortnite. I mean, that's not theirs. It's Epic's. Epic being there, not being there, was a problem. But Epic doesn't have loot boxes, do they? Tencent's got a big old stake in. Epic. Yeah, but they're just a, that's a yeah. But you can't invite all the investors around a table to discuss the actions of their. I mean, it's like oh, hang on, we need to get um, a League of Legends. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. So there were the, the companies that didn't come around the table, didn't agree, or didn't sign up to it. Um, but you got- I, I agree with you. Like, like broadly, I agree with you. It is, it is, it's sort of sad that the situation we're in with, you know, the the companies that make up the ESA is that we're looking at them and we're like, well, we're glad some of them did something. That's an improvement. Um, but, but I, I just, I, I am glad that some action got taken and it is promising for future action getting taken, sort of. But also, like the fact that so many prominent names were missing, some of them didn't even get asked, and the fact that it was kind of like the the absolute bare minimum thing that they can do is just. Uh... Well, yeah, no, but you, you say you you start dragging companies along. It's exciting. This is this actually reminds me a little bit of the digital charts stuff, in that there were so many companies that wouldn't give their data to digital charts. There still are companies that won't do it. But what happened, what, what we're starting to see is it's now, Nintendo now give digital sales data in Japan. And they never used to do that. Um, they're starting to do that more and more and more. And that's because, I can't help but think that's because everyone else is doing it. And eventually they're going to start going, yeah, we're, our game would have been number one that week if we'd only shared that data. And it's, and you're, that, that pressure causes other companies to follow suit and follow through. There has to be a starting point. It has to be a, a group of people that start it and then eventually those people push the agenda forward and other people join the conversation along the way because they feel like they're the ones that are being singled out for not being part of it and then that and that is where and that is how these things happen i mean if we all wait and this is this is the thing if we all wait until everybody's on board and everyone's agreed to all the wonderful things that we want them to agree to frankly we'll probably never get there but it, it's sort of that's why i was that's why i saw yesterday as a positive i don't think we're anywhere near the end result of this and this, i don't think the essay would have thought it, it was it was this is the end of the conversation but it was just a well, there's another step, the and positive, we're getting more and more people involved. The positive I'm looking for is a sense that the industry understands, like truly gets why this is a problem for people and is working to find a good way to, to make it right. Whereas what I, what I hear from them now 
you know, with those those defenses of dynamic odds and um, the virtual currency narrative preservation defense, like that's still the sort of thing you hear from a an industry that desperately does not want to change anything that could possibly, you know, hurt the bottom line, which it's a trade group. You know, these are for-profit companies. That's that's understandable, but it, it bothers me that the the kind of um, the refrain you hear so often in in anyone that deals with loot boxes is uh, we acknowledge that there are there are people who abuse these mechanics in unethical ways, but we do this the right way, and I hear that from people who do not do it the right way. And I, I think developers and publishers and companies, I don't, I don't think they really necessarily understand the, like, the totality of all the different ways that the, the tactics they use, each of which might be sort of, you know, individually defensible, that, that when you layer them on top of each other, the entire thing just becomes uh, just predatory, manipulative, scummy. And they need to understand that if they're ever going to, like, actually make, you know, significant changes, I think. I also, my my big my big worry, and I think a lot of people's big worry through all this is that it, you know, again, we've said this before, but if the, if the industry does not self-regulate in a sufficient, in a sufficient manner, um, then the government is going to do it for them. And I've said this on podcasts in the past, but I don't really trust, at least the U.S. government, I mean, I don't know about other world governments, but the US, I do not trust the U.S. government to effectively and intelligently regulate loot boxes, given how little they seem to understand about basic things regarding the internet. Um, like, like the FT, FTC folks in, in these hearings, like, you know, seem to, you know, be genuinely trying to get a good handle on the issues and genuinely seem to know what they were talking about in regards to the information they had. But the people who are like, you know, kind of, I... And I don't trust the U.S. government to do this effectively. And I worry that in these hearings, the games industry did not come off well. They really didn't. And so I'm worried that this is going to make the FTC look at, you know, this issue and decide that they're going to take matters into their own hands. And it's just, it's not going to go well. Um, I, I don't think it will. And I, I don't know. It, it's, that, that, that's my main worry. I wish, I wish the industry would maybe speed things up just a couple ticks. Yeah, I, and it's it's incredibly difficult to actually sort out the 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 real the key parts here. Like even the mechanics and the, the game design that aren't necessarily monetized. The matchmaking can be hugely uh, influential in this. Like you you play a free to play game and you're grouped in sort of a here's a a, a a ranking of of players and you're matched up against them and you keep losing to this, you know, this handful of players that have a really low level new character that was just released. And you're like, wow, if I just if I had that character, I could actually compete. And then when you finally get that character, you are resorted into a group of characters, you know, a group of players where your that character is not dominant anymore and you're just back on the treadmill again. And I think the the game design in a lot of these things is basically constantly optimizing so that whatever you have is a step or two away from you know wow that would be those guys seem to be dominant 
that's what I need. And so it's, it's always just kind of enticing you to spend more. And that's, that's not, that's not something that's going to be settled or, or taken away by loot box odds or, or adding more friction to the purchase process. But those, those are all components that like you need to convince the industry to, to be more, you know, socially responsible and less abusive and manipulative about this stuff to, to, to take a look at that. Otherwise they're only going to do exactly what, you know, you regulate or, or tell them to do. And that's never going to be enough to, to, to completely keep these things from, you know, it's either not going to be enough to keep them from being effectively manipulative and predatory, or it's going to overreach so far that it just takes away way too much, uh, of the, you know, design designers toolkit. I actually think that games that use those mechanics, like the ones where you know you need this character to in order to enjoy the game, those people over there are enjoying the game and you're not. You need that character. Those level, those games which you know the game gets really tedious and boring unless you spend money in order to get to the next level because the next level will be even more fun. That kind of mechanics. I, I like to think that because there's there's less of an addictive element to those, although it is manipulative. I like the way exploitative. I do think people. I mean, I catch onto that kind of stuff quite quickly. I'm like, well, this game's shit. You know, I just I, and so. Um, obviously, there is a there is an overspending issue there. People keep feeling they have to spend in order for the game to be fun. But after a while of the game not being fun, I like to think that um, uh, they'll, they'll drop it and um, people will see. But I don't, you know, that's an entirely different yeah. area. Little, little kids, maybe not. Yeah, it's the whole thing. That 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 was a lot. That this was a podcast full of a lot of heavy issues. Um, they're not always this way. Um, but you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast on all good podcasting platforms. And you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. Can we talk about games next week? Can we just start talk about... Yeah. Can we just spend like uh, half an hour on Fire Emblem and half an hour on whatever's out next? It just, yeah. Um,